Welcome to The Surge, a podcast about all things AmSurge and the ambulatory surgery center industry, where we share insight, news, and conversations relevant to our nationwide network of centers. Join us as we hear from AmSurge leadership, partners, and healthcare experts about the best practices, trends, and strategies that help your business thrive. Welcome to The Surge. I'm Sandy Smith, AmSurge's Vice President of Marketing, and I'm happy to be joined today by Dr. Sean Klein. Board certified in ophthalmology, Dr. Klein is a partner at River Drive Surgery and Laser Center in Elmwood Park, New Jersey. A refractive trained cornea and cataract surgeon, Dr. Klein routinely performs complex cataract and multifocal implant surgeries. Dr. Klein is also an active member of the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgeons and the American Academy of Ophthalmology, among other professional medical organizations. Besides being a practicing doctor, Dr. Klein is an assistant clinical professor of ophthalmology and visual science at Rutgers New Jersey Medical School in Newark. In addition, he recently completed his second term as mayor of Livingston, New Jersey, and currently serves as a town council member. Dr. Klein, welcome to The Surge. Thank you so much for having me, Sandy. It's great to be here. Hey, to start off, I'm just curious how you got into ophthalmology to begin with. What was it that really attracted you to this specialty and any advice for any medical students making big decisions right now? Um, I think ophthalmology has the the best of all worlds when it comes to to, uh, medicine. Um, My father was an ophthalmologist, and you see that a lot of children of ophthalmologists go into ophthalmology because they know the secret. Um, I originally felt that uh, going into ophthalmology would have been taking the, the easy path, so to speak, as my father had done it already. And I, I didn't want to look back on my life and feel like I just took the easy way out. And uh, I looked at a lot of other surgical specialties um, and uh, ophthalmology was, had the most interesting surgery. It, 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 um, it had the most interesting use of technology uh, as far as I was concerned. Um, and, a lot of other surgical subspecialties, you might take care of someone and be done with them. You don't really get to have that almost primary care longitudinal relationship that you get to have uh, with, with your patients. And, and in ophthalmology, you take care of people for their lives. I, I had a patient this past week um, you know, who, was, who I saw, I could tell from the date when I first saw the patient, on the first week I was working <laughs> as, uh, as an ophthalmologist you know, 18 years ago. And uh, someone I've been taking care of all this time, and uh, I know this gentleman longer than I know my kids. And uh, I think it's it's a really special part of ophthalmology that you get to have this kind of long term relationship. And as their challenges change, uh, as their eye conditions change, you can be there and help take care of them. I love that. And you know, at AmSearch, we get to work with literally hundreds of ophthalmologists. And I don't have any scientific here, but there are a lot of <laughs> second generation ophthalmologists that are partners at our centers. <laughs> You do. You see it all the time. Even at, at our Center River Drive, uh, we have a number of them. So it's a really common thing that happens. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great. And um, I love that combination. To your point, uh, uh, cataract surgery is a really fast changing field. It's frankly hard to get keep up some days. So what advancements do you see coming that you are really excited about? Well, I think that there's been a lot of recent advancements that that, that are or that have just come to marketplace in the last couple of years that we've been very excited about. Um for example, using uh, femtosecond laser-assisted uh, procedures, um, especially on difficult cases, and we're learning. Uh, and there, there's, we're on the cusp of having some changes in how we use the femtosecond laser in ophthalmology. Um, and 
I, it seems that in the next couple of years, we're going to be able to use these lasers to do adjustments on intraocular lens implants that have previously been placed. So, you know, in the past, uh, if you've had a patient that ended up being a little bit nearsighted, a little bit farsighted for their distance vision, we may now have technology to actually use uh, these kinds of lasers to change the refractive power of a lens that we put in previously, even years ago, and adjust their vision and bring them to, you know, to Plano, which is, you know, the term we use uh, for uh, for not needing correction at distance. Um, and then, you know, as, as people get older, if you had a cataract in your 50s um, and had surgery, uh, it's normal for the amount of astigmatism uh, in the eye to change. It becomes more against the rule as you get older. Uh, and maybe you could correct uh, new refractive errors that a patient has had, inclu including changing astigmatism um, as people get older and, and just make sure you refine the vision and keep that distance vision as good as we can. And there may be some uh, ability to give nearsighted vision uh, uh, so people can have better reading uh, uh, performance uh, using those kinds of lasers. So th that's really exciting, the chance to go back and get a second bite at the apple on someone who's had a previous surgery uh, and try to make sure that they maintain their best vision throughout their life. Um, and a lot of people have femtosecond lasers already in their surgical suite. So if there's just software upgrades, um, it, you know, that, that would be really exciting. Um, I think that artificial intelligence is going to be very interesting um, in ophthalmology. Um, there are, uh, you know, one, one of the challenges in ophthalmology, especially in people who've had previous uh, refractive surgery, uh, is to try to make sure we have accurate outcomes from our cataract uh, procedures. And uh, there are a lot of different uh, um, formulas for doing that. And the formulas, each generation of these formulas that comes out are, are better and better, but nothing's perfect. Um, and especially when it comes to the challenge of people who've had previous LASIK or, or other uh, refractive procedures, um, having artificial intelligence to really drill down on those numbers and having it drilled down in a way that's specific to different doctor's offices. So in any given doctor's office, um, there's going to be subtle differences in terms of the equipment that's used to make measurements mm -hmm. um, and in terms of even how surgery is performed. And all those things can be incorporated on a surgeon by surgeon basis using artificial intelligence to help make us get, uh, get to the best results that we can for our patients. Which frankly is really remarkable work. And, and really a lot of that's happened in the last, I don't know, decade or so. Ophthalmology is one of these fields where things change fast. And we always hear these stories about what's coming next. And, and there's just these leaps and leaps. Um, I'll tell you, you know, one of the things that's been a nice advancement in the last few couple of years has been uh, decreasing the eye drops that people have to use uh, mm -hmm. after the surgery. Mm -hmm. So we have um, medications like Dextenza, which, is, you know, is a small uh, nanotechnology implant that we can put in the nasolacrimal duct that will slowly elude um, a steroid medication so patients don't have to use drops afterwards, especially if they're getting an injection of uh, antibiotic also. So, you know, compliance with patients is, can always be challenging and just making sure that they get their medicine so that a good surgery doesn't go sideways because people didn't do take care of it afterwards is, is you know, is really terrific uh, for patient care. Really terrific. I had eye surgery. I had a trigium removed a couple of, um, about a year ago. And those eye drops are not fun. You know, they're, they're expensive also and they have side effects for some people and it can be challenging. <laughs> And it's just when you get back to your day-to-day -day life, it's just hard to remember three, four times a day that you've got to put in the right, you know. So it's, um, I think, anything that can help make it easier for our patients, as well as give us then, we're, you know, all the um, compliance issues is really remarkable. Speaking, speaking from the other side, I couldn't agree with you more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It reduces the risk from, for, uh, for all of us, let's say. Absolutely.
So what if we look further out, maybe 10, 20 years ago, what do you think is the next generation? I am in that category also of thinking, you know, cataract surgery is not going to be that far away from me. So what do I have to look? So the, should I wait? Yeah. So there are a couple of, there are a couple of trends um, that I think that we can, uh, you know, talk about when we're talking about sort of the more, more medium term uh, mm -hmm. cataract surgery changes. The first is in the holy grail, and any uh, cataract surgeon will tell you this, the holy grail, grail of ophthalmology is to, is to have a lens implant that's truly accommodating. Yeah. So the way lenses work now um, is there, there are iterations uh, of generations of lenses that are trying to give simultaneous uh, near, intermediate, and distance vision. And the way most of these lenses work is through uh, a lens, a light splitting technique which works really well for, for the vast majority of people, but it can lead to side effects. There's, for example, night driving, there can be glare and those kinds of things. Um, and what we really are looking forward to, and there's at least four or five uh, that you can read about readily online uh, of implants that are able to actually accommodate, which means that there is a mechanism inside the eye uh, for changing the shape of the lens, our natural lens. And that the, the, the muscles that can change the shape of the lens to contort that shape allow us in our natural in the natural form when you're young to change the vision from distance to near um, as we get older those fibers in the lens get more stiff and the muscles that we have are just not able to adjust the uh, the lens shape to to change the focus um, when we put a new lens in the eye there are hopefully going to be lenses that are coming out in the not too distant future which actually the muscles can re uh, can create a, a force upon that can adjust the focusing power of that lens and someone who has distance vision when they want to see up close, guess what? They can just, you know, they don't have to think about it. They just look up close and it's in focus. So that's sort of the holy grail. And what that will do for us as ophthalmologists, it will change the paradigm for cataract surgery. Because instead of waiting for someone to get a cataract, um, there's another entity that people will call lens dysfunction, uh, which just means that you've lost the ability to change your focus. Mm -hmm. uh, and so people in their 40s, for example, may start to have lens-based surgery, not because there's really a cataract, but because they are losing the ability to see up close. Mm -hmm. uh, and for, you know, for surgical centers, uh, that's an exciting idea mm -hmm. that there'll be younger people coming in um, and we'll be able to take good care of them and, and not worry about doing cataract surgery later on. Yeah, um, it really is remarkable. I mean, I, I'm is. one of that group that was perfect vision until I was 40 and now I've been wearing 20 plus years wearing these glasses. <laughs> And, and I'm also in that group who's now looking like, do I need to use the readers? <laughs> I'm, I'm struggling with that as we talk. I'm literally at the cusp of, of talking to my wife, are we going to go get readers now? So I know exactly uh, where that is. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. For me, um, about my 40th birthday. <laughs> there, okay. Um, there are um, there was some other trends going on, which I think I would say maybe I'm not as excited for, uh, or you know, have some patient care uh, concerns. And also when, it, you know, when we talk about uh, AM surge and its excellence in administrating surgical centers. That there's an impact uh, for you know that we have to consider. Um, the first is that there is a you know a trend a, a discussion about doing bilateral simultaneous cataract surgery. So this is doing instead of you know the typical patient will come in have cataract surgery in one eye and then a couple of weeks later have cataract surgery in the other eye or maybe four weeks later. Um, and that's what's done now and that is. What's, you know, in America, we don't really have much of a choice about this because that's how insurance will pay for it. We can't do both eyes in the same day. Um, but I'm if insurance does change and, and start to allow a full payment for both eyes in the same day, uh, I still have concerns about that. And, and, and I'll tell you why. So I, I did a, a cornea fellowship 
with Randy Epstein in Chicago Cornea. Uh, it's part of my training. And um, you learn a lot of important things in, you know, in a fellowship. Uh, and uh, the one pearl that I learned that I think has been more useful than any other that whole year uh, was that you have to learn uh, what to do in the second eye, given the results of the first eye. So if someone has cataract surgery and ends up with a slightly myopic result, so that what that tells us is that the implant we put in might have been a little bit stronger than, than, uh, you, know, than, than, than you might have wanted to choose. In the second eye, you should choose a lens that's slightly less strong. Okay, there's a learning, uh, and there's a learning uh, uh, factor here that's really important. Um, you might think as a scientist that, well, each eye is an individual trial, but it turns out that it's, it really is important. To, uh, I can tell you anecdotally, and I've seen studies over the years also that show that if you pay attention to what happens in the first eye and learn from it, that you can get a better result in the second eye. And um, doing simultaneous surgery in both eyes at the same time, you lose the, the chance to do that. Uh, and I think that in the end, patient outcomes, you know, will, I don't want to say suffer because we're talking about small changes, but you, you want to have that chance to fine tune uh, these results and get, get the best outcomes for your patients that you can. And when you're doing simultaneous surgery, you lose the chance to do that. So that's, that's one thing that I, that would, you know, certainly give me pause about that, uh, that general direction. Uh, the other thing that we see happening is discussions about in-office surgery. Um, and I think that that, that sounds unattractive to me, uh, certainly. And I, I can give you a few reasons why that would be. Um, you know, at AmSurge, we have 40, uh, at, at our AmSurge Center at River Drive, we have 45 uh, ophthalmologists that work there. There's a community. There's collegiality. Uh, there are discussions about best practices. Um, there are um, uh, there are very expensive pieces of equipment that we always want to make sure are as updated as possible. When you have 45 doctors paying into a center, so to speak, and putting and uh, bringing cases to that center, that's a lot of people to split these kinds of costs for the you know the most advanced technology. If you're in your own office, you, maybe you can pick and choose you know one or two things that you're going to have, uh, and that's what you can provide your patients. And maybe you can't update them very often. I don't think that provides the best care. You really, uh, especially in a very technology-driven uh, subspecialty like ophthalmology, where these lasers can cost half a million dollars, um, and um, you know, having a huge lens assortment is becomes very important and you need space for all those lenses. Uh, and you need, um, you, you can't get the best price on all of these pieces of equipment. If you're, you know, if you're a one-off, uh, office, we're able to create efficiency by having 45 doctors. We're, we're able to make sure we have the best technology. Um, and you know, you're going to lose that and not to mention best practices. So that's one side of it. Uh, why I think the, the, um, the office, uh, operating, um, space is going to, not just not be as good as, as, as having a really qualified surgical center. But the other side of it is this. Um, studies show, and this is in, in two respects, studies show that where the most volume of surgery is done is where the best results come. So that happens on a surgical basis. The busiest cataract surgeons have the, less, have the least complications, but also the surgical centers that do the most volume end up having the best results as well. And there have been lots of studies that have, that have shown this. And so I think uh, in that respect, you know, I'm not going anywhere. Um, we, want, we want people to, you know, having people at, you know, uh, at a center that's run efficiently. Um, you're going to, you know, if you're a, a physician owner at, at that center, you're going to do very well financially, nothing to worry about. So you don't have to, and your patients are going to do better. And the idea that you should have, you know, do it out of your own office, there's just too much detriment there to, uh, to justify it. 
That's a fascinating perspective, Dr. Klein. And I, we, I've read a lot about the concern about in-office and sterility. And of course, infection control has been really important the last couple of years. <laughs> so, but I'd never thought about the investments in technology as well, sharing those. Yeah, I think I think it's I think it's really important. You you just things are too expensive for even if you have a group of of eight doctors, you know, you, you can pick and choose some things, but you can't um, you can't uh, do what you can do when you have a really large group of doctors who are putting their uh, efforts into one center. Fascinating, fascinating. So you also have two offices for your practice, I understand, which serve kind of different parts of the community, and that's. Um, there's not a lot of the surgeons that we work with that have that um, have that set up. I'm curious about what the challenge and maybe the blessings are of working with two different parts of the population. Yeah, I mean, so we have an office. One of my offices is in Elizabeth, New Jersey, uh, which is blue collar, sort of, you know, maybe a little less affluent than than, uh, than even blue collar in, in, uh, for some of the patients. Uh, and then I have an office in uh, Short Hills, uh, New Jersey, which is one of the wealthiest communities in the country. Um, and I, I would agree it, it, there are blessings and challenges um, in, in, in both respects. So when you have patients in, uh, in my Short Hills office who are you know, very educated and, and um, uh, they'll come in and they, they, have, they require a lot of chair time, um, which I enjoy that chair time. Um, I actually will tell patients that I love when they ask questions because I want patients to understand what kind of care they're getting. I want them to understand that, the, that as a physician, uh, I want, they, they, they have my attention. Um, and that I'm happy to answer all of their questions and whatever choices they make when it comes to cataract surgery, because, you know, there are choices to be made. Um, I want them to have all the information that they can have so that they're comfortable in their choice. And they know that uh, I've done my best to explain uh, uh, all of the different nuances involved with, with those choices. Um, for the less affluent uh, population that I have in my Elizabeth office, that's an entirely different set of challenges. They, they come with a much higher disease burden, um, which on the one hand, as a surgeon can be, you know, rewarding because they're, they're every second person that walks in that office needs surgery. It seems like on some days, um, so cause they're, they're not coming in for, you know, they have a small scratch or they, they feel like their eyes are a little dry. They're coming in because they, they can't see anymore. Um, and, uh, that's very rewarding as a surgeon to be able to make, um, you know, take a truly blind eye and make it see it again. You know, in my Elizabeth office, I get to do that on, on, with some regularity. Um, and in my Short Hills office, that almost never happens. So it's really rewarding as a surgeon to be able to make a gigantic difference in someone's life. Um, that's why people go into medicine, right? I mean, that's, that's sort of what you're hoping to do as a doctor. Um, but there are challenges because there's, there's education uh, deficits at times. There's, uh, there's language barriers. Um, you know, we have problems with... Um, uh, compliance with medications after surgery. And, uh, you know, these are patients that have, you know, insurances like Medicaid that won't cover all the med all the drugs that I would choose for them to have. So for example, we, I mentioned the Dextenza for patients that have compliance issues. If I was able to just give them a medicine and say, we don't have to worry about whether they're going to use their drops and, I, and I'm worried about it. Um, but they don't have access to it. Um, you know, we like to think there isn't two tier medicine in, in, um, in, uh, this country, but there is, and I will say, there is, except at a place like AmSurge, because the quality of the care from the technicians and the nursing uh, and the physicians does not change. Um, there is a true dedication uh, from AmSurge to treat everyone the same. Uh, and I, I, it's one of the things that I love about operating at the center. Um, everyone gets treated with dignity. Um, everyone, everyone is treated uh, respectfully and um, everyone gets the same quality outcomes. Um, 
but so there are challenges on both and, uh, and rewards for both. There are so many options in cataract surgery, it's confusing. I work in the business and it's still confusing to keep up with the technology today. How do you counsel your patients on making those decisions? So it, those, those decisions are always tricky. And, um, you know, I, I, I probably throw it into two buckets about how I think about it. Um, the first question is, is, you know, what are the patients doing all day long, right? Um, where if they're looking at a computer screen all day long, um, that's very different than someone who's a truck driver. Uh, and what their needs are, and and how I need to think about what their post, what their best post-operative uh, visual um, uh, performance should be. So, um, as you're saying, so they're really when we think about these these choices, we have to think about vision in three different sets. We, we think about distance, intermediate, and near vision. Um, and um, I've had people who will come in and say, "I'm on my computer all day long. I don't care if I wear glasses for distance." So we focus them up close with both eyes and we, they put on glasses for distance. Um, and, that's, and, and that's great. The, the point is, is to educate patients so that they can make their best choice. Glasses free is wonderful. Patients are thrilled. They, they come in with these huge smiles on their faces after surgery and their glasses free. Um, and that's an ideal situation for, for a, a result for any patient. Uh, but you know, as I started to say before, the tools that we have to get there uh, have some trade-offs. So um, what I tell people in my experience, when we use these some of these extended depth of focus lenses, which are trying to give all three types of vision at the same time, I tell them that about 90% of patients in my, in my office uh, will be glasses-free completely after getting one of these implants in both eyes. But about 10% of people may use glasses for night driving because of glare and, uh, and, and the topic phenomenon that may make them slightly uncomfortable. Or if they're reading something really small, like the insert on a medication, um, you know, like an insert paper on a medication, they might still pair, uh, reach for a pair of glasses for that. Um, so nothing's perfect, perfect. Um, but if I have a truck driver, I'm not offering them that lens because if they're driving at night and, I, and I, they're one of these small percentage of people that do have these uh, night driving problems, well, I've just really you know, done a disservice to this patient. So I, I don't offer that particular kind of lens. There are lots of other lenses that we can offer them. There are lenses that are very good at giving distance vision and intermediate vision, but uh, people may still need glasses for up close. Um, I will do mixing and matching. Uh, a lot of times I will might put in ex one of these uh, extended depth of focus lens in the first eye, and if the patient's happy, perfect, we do it in the second eye. But if the patient's saying that they're having certain issues, either for reading or for distance, we can compensate for that by doing a, a different kind of implant in the second eye. And I think it comes down to patient education. Uh, it comes down to really listening to the patients. I know that there are some doctors who leave that part of the conversation, uh, you know, uh, on the, to you know, to perhaps some uh, another staff member in their office. I don't do that. I mean, I think that is the crucial part of the relationship between the doctor and the patient. And I think that I need to get a sense of what this patient is is wants to have as their vision. But the other part of this, I said there were two buckets, is what kind of personality this patient has. So I preface all these discussions by telling patients I've got a personality personality. If the glass is 90% full, I might be worried about that last 10%. You know, and I'm giving them permission to, to say that they're going to be like that also. And um, if someone has that kind of personality, like, you know, it could be an accountant or an engineer or another physician, um, I am very clear to uh, explain what the uh, possible, side, you know, uh, detriments are of the choices so that they can, I, you know, I try to uh, under-promise and over-deliver in these patients. Um, but I'm not going to be aggressive about, um, about 
I don't want to say pushing, but I, I would, uh, because that's, I would never do that to someone, but just sort of, um, uh, ex, you know, offering, let's say offering uh, these kinds of lenses when I, if I don't think that from a personality point of view, that the patient's going to be able to step back and just feel uh, that they're, that, you know, that they're happy with their vision. I, I, there, there's a personality dependent uh, attribute to part of this. And there, some people come in and they're just very easygoing and they don't have um, huge um, uh, visual demands. And you just know they're going to be happy with just jumping for joy when they get these glasses, uh, you know, and they can live life without glasses. Okay, Dr. Klein, your center, River Drive Surgery and Laser Center, as you've very eloquently said, is one of, it is our largest ophthalmology center. Um, you have a, a large, very successful center. You partnered with us in 2015, seems like only yesterday, but that was remarkably seven years ago. So what can you tell me about the benefits of partnering with AmSearch? So I, I think there's been a lot of benefit. Um, I, uh, I think it's been an outstanding collaboration. Um, when AmSearch came along, we, they were coming to a place uh, where, frankly, I think uh, River Drive had a lot of stuff figured out. We were very efficient, um, very well run. The, our, our administrator, Nancy Lord, just does an incredible job at our center. Um, she's just an ace. And uh, I think there was con some concern that when AmSearch came along, they would start saying, oh, well, that's not how we do things or this is how we want to get it done. And, and uh, you guys need to change this and that. And that's just not what happened. Um, AmSurge came along and said um, they recognized the things that we were doing right. They brought ideas to the table to make tweaks. I think that the overriding, overarching um, idea for them was we want surgeon satisfaction, right? Because uh, AmSurge comes along and they understand that if the surgeons are happy and this, uh, that that's good for everybody, right? That means the center is going to run well. Uh, it means that financially everyone's going to do well. Um, and there's going to be great patient care. And um, that's really what I think uh, people bring to the table. You know, page profit from page profit on down, um, every meeting that we have in the uh, quarterly meetings is, is uh, looking at uh, best practices. We have the ability with AmSurge to compare ourselves to other ophthalmology centers uh, that AmSurge uh, owns or is a part, you know, part, partial owner of. And we're able to see where we are. And, and if we're not sort of uh, in certain areas stacking up, then we understand where we need to improve. Um, I think that hopefully River Drive has been an outstanding example to uh, the rest of AmSurge's um, uh, centers. Uh, there's Because we really are efficient and uh, I, I think work well, there's, uh, you know, the other centers have uh, maybe some things they can get from, from how we do things. Um, but I think there was some concern when AmSurge came along uh, that things would be changing. And I think things have only gotten better. Uh, I have, I think it's been an outstanding collaboration and, and I don't hear anyone, uh, any of the surgeons uh, complaining or having anything to say uh, that they think that AmSurge has gotten in the way or, or, or tried to push in a direction that wasn't, uh, that wasn't the right direction. We, we've all been rowing in the same direction. We're all on the same team. And it just completely feels that way. Dr. Klein, I'm excited that you have recently agreed to join our Physicians Advisory Board, which helps to um, advise and counsel uh, AmSurge on our, your specialty. Um, thank you for agreeing, and I'm um, and and it's a commitment. Trips to Nashville, time, um, your time, your your energy. Tell us why and what um, why you agreed to say um, to that, and what you look forward to, please. Well, I I, I think uh, listen. I, obviously, we've had a good experience just with, uh, with River Drive at our, our own surgical center. But I, I believe in AmSurge as a company. Um, I've been, uh, I just find uh, all of the um, people working at AmSurge that I've come across have been nothing but professional and intelligent 
and frankly, you know, wonderful to work with. And um, I, it's just uh, working on the, on the National Physician Advisory Board uh, just gives me a, uh, a chance to, um, you know, to talk with the other ophthalmologists that are on that board and to uh, work on best practices and to try to provide the best guidance I can to make sure that AmSurge does well in the future. So one of the things as I was preparing for this, I was impressed to learn that you invest your free time, which I know as a practicing surgeon, there's not a lot of, you're investing in your community and you just finished a second term as the mayor of Livingston, New Jersey. Well, I'll just touch on that. You know, so we, I just finished my, uh, my, uh, my mayoral year last year and, um, and I'm serving on the town council as in a non-mayor role, but in, in our form of government, you know, you, uh, you become mayor uh, every couple of years. And so, uh, but last year, was a tough year to be mayor with COVID. Um, and we had a one in 10,000 year storm in Livingston uh, after Ida came up. Um, it was it was a horror show. There were just, uh, after you know, there were so many basements that were flooded out. And when you were, we would drive around town after the after the waters uh, receded, um, there were just, every lawn was covered in, in their, the contents of, the, of their basement and all the rug pulled up and everything else. And it was, it was a very uh, challenging year to be mayor. Um, but I think if you're going to provide, uh, if you have difficult circumstances, that's when you need the best leadership. Uh, so I was really uh, proud to uh, to try to provide that from from, from my town. Um, you know, Livingston's a place of thirty thousand people, and I've I've always uh, felt like uh, you know my mom when I was a kid would tell me, "Listen, you do what you can," and um, I always took that as a mandate that you sort of are responsible for doing what you can to to make things better for people. And as a physician. It's very uh, satisfying to help someone on a one-on-one basis, um, but when you are in government, if you can do something good for, um, you know, if you can do something good, you're not doing it for one person; you're doing it for thirty thousand people. Um, and so, it, you know, and then there's also the entire aspect of the intellectual curiosity. It's a whole other thing to learn about. Um, I think that there are a lot. There's lots of crossing over between um, skills that I develop um, as a public official and a public servant. Uh, come into my practice, how I run my private practice and how I talk to my patients. And I think it's vice versa. Um, you know, a lot of people who live in my town are my patients and to be able to uh, have serve them in, in both ways is really, uh, is very appealing for me uh, and enjoyable. Well, thank you for your service. I, I, I personally believe that uh, democracy is a participation sport. And the, so thank you for doing more than your share and contribute to us. Um, Dr. Klein, I can't thank you enough for your time today. Um, I've learned a lot from this, and I'm sure that everybody listening has as well. So thank you for um, your commitment. Well, thank you so much for having me. Uh, you know, to be the first cataract surgeon featured on, 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 on the surge has really been uh, exciting for me. And, um, you know, I look forward to uh, working many years with, uh, with you folks in the future. Perfect. Thank you. And have a good day. Thank you for listening to The Surge. If you have any questions about this podcast or suggestions for future episodes, please contact us at communications at amsurge.com.